From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and I'm the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. During these winter months, we're casting our interview net a bit wider, still talking to women farmers and also other women playing a variety of roles in organic food and farming, from agency women, authors and activists to entrepreneurs. Typically, you'll hear a series of interviews with the same woman over two months, with a new episode released every other Friday through the winter. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Today we learn about heritage hogs and marketing meat with April Prusia of Dorothy's Range in Blanchardville, Wisconsin. We'll talk about how to research and identify what breeds might be best for you, successful marketing strategies, and growing the population of heritage hogs, and your business through feeder pigs. Hello, we are back with April Prusia of Dorothy's Range, a vegetable farmer turned hog operator, uh, and you love your hogs, don't you? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a given if you ever get the chance to see April around her animals. But your pigs are also... Well, okay. Can we start with the obvious question that people probably don't even want to ask? Like, oh, the difference between a hog and a pig is... Um, or is there? Well, I would classify everything as a hog. I'm... Maybe I don't know my... A sow uh-huh. is um, a pig that has given birth to piglets. Um, I think you could call anything a hog. Oh, okay. Uh, a, guilt is, like a... a guilt is a girl that has not given birth ah, to any babies. It's a maiden. Exactly. <laughs> She's guilty of something, okay. but not quite yet. <laughs> all right. So they are used. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think so. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hey, all good to know. <laughs> but you have very special pigs in that um, you did a lot of research on the breeds, but they're what is called heritage hogs, right? Right. What, what is the definition of that? Sure. Um, I think of it kind of like our, um, explained this years ago with vegetables, I think of it as um, an heirloom, something that we've passed down from generation to generation, not exactly jewelry, but maybe seeds. And in this case, it's a particular breed of pig. And um, so we have two heritage breeds. We started with the large blacks, and now we have... Glashire Old Spots, um, otherwise known as Gosses, which is much easier to say, just G-O-S, Goss. <laughs> um, so those are two pretty rare breeds. Uh, we started with the large blacks, and when we started with them in Wisconsin, there weren't a lot of them. And now we feel like there's a decent supply of large blacks here, thanks to the large black growers. And uh, so then we've moved, we're moving on to the Gosses. How are, can you describe each of those? Are they sure. different styles of meat or? 
The large blacks um, are, well, they're different meat, but they're also a slow-growing pig. That's why uh, they disappeared in the 80s. A lot of our uh, pig production was moved indoors into confinement animal feeding operations, Mm -hmm. and they don't do well in confinement. Large blacks don't. And um, they also are slower growers, and the typical American pig is grown in five to six months to 250 pounds. And the large blacks, you want to um, grow to over 300 pounds, and you want to grow them slowly. So that they take on a marbled red meat. Uh, and that's what the large blacks did for us. If we grew them for a year and pastured them and gave them plenty of exercise as well as good grains. So they, uh, and the other one? The gosses? Yep. The gosses, um, they weren't really even on our list, but we accidentally uh, got a mix of a large black and goss and really fell in love with their kind of goofy um kind of personality and they were very efficient at taking care of the garden waste when I was running the CSA um, they would go right for the uh, vegetable waste before the large blacks they grow faster they have a very red meat um, both of these breeds are multi-purpose pigs back in the day we had uh, lard was very um, useful we valued it we used it a lot more um, and we had larding pigs and then we had meat pigs and we have multi-purpose pigs and our pigs are the breed. They are multi-purpose pigs. So they have a fair amount of fat on them, but they have a good quality of meat. Um, both of those heritage breeds, you got the mule foots. There's, they're a little bit more fatty fat with delicious lard. Um, but we're kind of right in the middle. Huh? What, um, so were these pigs hard to find when you were doing your research? Well, uh, with the World Wide Web, that helps everything um, in that department. Uh, the large blacks, we traveled down to um, Missouri to, to find them. And the the gosses were really tricky. No one in Wisconsin was raising them. No one in Iowa was raising them. Um, barely anybody in Illinois. They didn't... Um, they didn't have like a breeding pair. So yes, it was very difficult. Uh, I traveled, um, we got one of our gilts from Georgia. Her name was Georgia. And we got our boar from Kansas. And I just got a girl from Kentucky. And uh, Minnesota would probably be the closest. So yeah, we had to travel far. And I think about two years ago, we had our first litter, which would be the first of Wisconsin, Gosses, Wisconsin, that I know of and have since sold breeding stock in Wisconsin. So they're kind of pasturing around here in Wisconsin now. So you, by default, are on an educational mission to bring these back. Heck yeah. Yeah. That's, they're delicious. They're amazing to be around. It would be, it would be a shame to lose, lose that breed. Um, like many things, I feel like we're just, we get, I think the main production of pork is very limited as far as genes. So it's also um, a food security thing. What if, you know, something broke out, everything could just, well, actually that happened a number of years ago. We had the PED and um, most of the heritage pigs had no problem with the porcine epidemic diarrhea. We didn't, we we didn't get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting though, on the outside, folks could argue wrong business strategy. Well, why would you share something that's unique to you? Do you know what I mean? Like you have this pig and nobody else does, but you're selling breeders. But you see it beyond just your own business. Oh, yeah. 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 And you kind of, you have to eat it and you have to share it to keep it alive. You know, I can't just only keep my tomato seed and be the only one growing it um that just doesn't make sense you got to share that it's, it's a lot of flavor <laughs> no, i think it's a, it's a unique 
sentiment too amongst folks in the organic and sustainable ag communities. We see that where in the outside world, it, it sometimes always isn't that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, by growing more farmers, <laughs> by growing the industry, the uh, availability, the interest, you know, yeah. we see that. We see that. It's interesting, like with people eating pork, is it increasing or do people becoming in general, have you seen more knowledgeable um, definitely at the farmer's market, I've had people come and say that they typically don't eat pork because they don't, they've heard too many stories, Yeah, but they're excited to, you know, be able to purchase pork from me. And mm-hmm. I, I let them know there's a price for that. There's a reason, you know, pigs are cheap. The The farmers are happy to make a dollar off of a pig if they're growing 50,000 of them, but I'm growing five or 10. So I need to make a little bit more than a dollar off my pigs. <laughs> so I kind of explain that theory to them. Um mm-hmm. So there's definitely there. I I would say in the last three years, people really bringing up stories like, "Oh, did you see this thing on Facebook?" And you know, like I probably have heard of it. It's probably awful. I believe you because you can really treat a pig awful and you still get meat from a pig, which mm. is sad. You yeah. Because uh, the one, I mean, like the pigs that you see in the capos and mm-hmm. confined operations uh, are not the breeds that you're talking about. I mean, they're much more whatever industrial breeds if right you will, or... right Th- those genetics though i don't think there's very many genetics there but they're bred to be super lean white meat that happens super fast with big litters and they're getting like two and a half litters a year rather than you know we get two litters a year uh. really pushing the animals um they're typically i believe yorkshires the pink prick-eared pigs that most people think of with when you're thinking about pigs the pink pig which is fun when we first started off with black pigs with lappy ears. People like, what do you what do you got out there? What are those things? So um, I kind of like that they look a little different than, yeah. than the pink. Well, what's pigs. their primary diet? Um, well, they say that you're not supposed to feed over 20% of their diet in pasture. But we're I feel like we're building genetics in our um, pigs, I guess. Um, so... I buy local feed from um, two different farmers, corn, oats, barley, roasted soy. The soy has been a real challenge. That's another thing that I've learned um, doing the pigs, and I've, I've done chickens before. I have recognized that a lot of our organic grains are not coming from America, and I don't want to get sucked into that thinking like, oh, I'm buying organic. I feel good about this. Uh, so I've really... So, uh, coming from abroad or unknown yeah, vendors. Maybe places yeah. that there aren't, you know, labor laws. So uh, um, I have found, luckily, a couple of farmers that are growing organic. And the soy is the big thing. So I'm trying to get away from soy, actually, even though I found a great farmer that does the ro- roasted organic soy for me. Um, I try to diversify their diet. Right now they're eating a lot of walnuts. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so things you can forage or mm-hmm. leftovers or mm-hmm. overgrown pumpkins. Yes. Next it'll be pumpkins. I've found a, a nice spot where people toss their pumpkins when they're <laughs> done for the season. And I kind of raid the the ah, pumpkin yeah, dump yeah. and then I bring them home. But people have been calling me with their walnuts. It was a great mast year. So um, lots of acorns, lots of walnuts. And uh, walnuts have a deworming agent too, which I think is really great that I can just chuck in the really? walnuts with the walnut husks and um, the pigs take care of all the work. So a diversified diet. Heck yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Do, um, is there a difference in gender of pigs? I mean, do, 
do they have the same general growth pattern or um there's some it... some folks say that they're they do grow differently I and mean, definitely if you're um if you're growing feeder pigs you want them to get big and you want them to get big kind of fast um, but if you're growing breeding stock, you don't want your breeding stock to get big. This was something, a lesson we learned. <laughs> it took a while. Um, so, because if you have big stock, then they're holding this weight and they're holding babies and then they're holding the boar on the sow. And, you know, it's it's a it's a lot. So we, um, we restrict their feed to encourage grazing, but also just to discourage overweight. So. Yeah. And you, do you do some experimentation too with perennial plants or prairie plants and feed or yep we've um we have a permanent pastured area and then we move our pigs after a prairie burn into uh, specific areas uh, we did have the pigs in um, the field over there where you can see all the little blue and the side oats that are coming out they grazed there three years ago and then we interceded um interceded after they uh grazed on some of the cool season grasses and i I'd like to think that they helped that prairie establish um, those those warm season grasses and some of the, the huh. flowers. Yeah, so they're real good with the cultivating, if you will, the land. Yeah, fertilizing. I, I think so. And even you know, well, the objective there was just for them to eat the cool season grasses and um, leave room for the warm season grasses to be able to germinate, see the sunshine, and and come up. Yeah. So, what advice would you give, particularly a beginning woman farmer interested in pigs or is there a um, breed to do the research you did or a breed to start with sure i think it's a great idea to start with a heritage breed um, huh. just because it's it's nice to keep them alive um sure <laughs> uh and and definitely um visit just visit another farm it's pretty easy to um see what is possible by visiting other people um there's a great there's great resources of course we checked out the books, but I feel like you can just go to Facebook and to pig groups and learn way too much, you know, oh, interesting. from hearing other people's stories. Uh, and that wasn't a tool that we used in the beginning. Um, but I definitely, you know, understand that uh, it's a commitment. It's very different than vegetables. You know, you have to be there every day. It's not um, as hands-off. Uh, and it's emotional. <laughs> well, for somebody like you who loves their pigs, that's part of the job description, it huh? Is, yeah, I have, I have folks that say they can taste the love in my pork. Oh, <laughs> terrific. That's I'm why they keep hungry. coming back. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, April. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.